Our sermon passage this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2. We'll be reading verse 1 through 4. Uh, But before we turn there, let us go to the beginning of our Bibles, Genesis 3. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Genesis 3. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Give your full attention to it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let us turn now to Philippians 2. So So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let us pray. O Lord our God, Help us to meditate on your precepts, fix our eyes on your ways, deal bountifully with us that we might live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Paul has just finished encouraging the Philippians to stand together when opposition comes. He knows that they will be maligned and persecuted by outsiders. And remember the crazy thing that Paul has just said in the previous chapter. Suffering is a gift from God. Crazy. God uses our affliction for our good. That wasn't a popular message back then. It's not a popular message now. But for Paul, that's the way the gospel advances, through hardship and difficulty. Why? Because God loves to show his strength in our weakness. But Paul knows something else too. Trouble will find us, even in the church. You know, sometimes it's a lot easier to stand together when trouble is coming from the outside. And it can be a lot harder when trouble is from the inside. 
Because we all know how div- divisive we can be. You know, our words can often wound people. Our actions towards them can alienate them. And boy, even the way we think about them can be damaging. And so Paul's aim in these verses is to reorient us in the way we relate to one another. He wants us to see each other differently. And so this morning, I want us to wrestle with a simple idea, a simple but difficult message. And it's this. If we will be united as the Lord desires, then we must be humble enough to consider others more significant than ourselves. If we will be united as the Lord desires, then we must be humble enough to consider others more significant than ourselves. And so the question looming at this point is, if we're going to face opposition, if we're going to for sure suffer, how will we make it? And to this question, Paul says in verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Here's what I think uh, that's interesting about Paul's list And it's this, it's Trinitarian. Just look at it. There's encouragement in Christ, the Son. There's comfort from love of the Father. And there's fellowship in the Spirit. I know, uh, Paul doesn't actually say comfort from from love of the Father. But here's why I think he has that in mind. Uh, Because I think he's reflecting on his Trinitarian benediction that that he gave to the Corinthians. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 13, listen to what he says there. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Does it sound familiar? He says, if there's any of that. But don't let the word if there trip you up. Uh, The word here can be translated since. So since you have these things, because for Paul, his list is not hypothetical. It's real. Because if you, have, if you believe what Paul has been saying all along in Philippians, if you believe the power of the gospel to save, if you're in Christ, then you have these things. Do you have any encouragement in Christ as believers? Of course you do. You have all the encouragement and grace that you need from him. I mean, consider what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He says this, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal encouragement and good hope through grace. You see, you possess Christ's encouragement already. In fact, it's always been yours. It's an, it's an eternal encouragement, Paul says. And so what about comfort from love, which again is often attributed to the Father? And so do we have the Father's comfort from love? Absolutely. Each and every one has it in the gospel. And do you have fellowship in the Spirit? Yes. If you're in Christ, then that's a true reality for you. All of these things, all of these blessings are yours. I mean, how awesome is that? You might not have what the world has, but if you have these, you have everything. 
Paul goes on to mention affection and sympathy, as the ESV has it. I mean, I I prefer the words compassion and mercy. Uh, But listen to what Paul says again in uh, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. I think those words sum up what Paul said about the Trinity. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love of the Father, fellowship of the Spirit. That's how we know that God has compassion and mercy on us. Because He gives us all of those things. And what are those? Those are all gospel things. Good news things. And they color everything Paul just said about opposition and suffering from outsiders. These gospel things from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit anchor us when we are mistreated and when we are afflicted. But they also anchor us in our relationships with one another as we struggle to live with one another in all of our differences. And so remember what God gives us in the gospel. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love of the Father, and fellowship in the Spirit. Remember them as we consider Paul's uh, next words in verses 2 through 4. But let me first remind you, Paul is foregoing what's better, right? To be with the Lord. He's foregoing that, that he might see the Philippians advance in the faith. Because for him, that would mean joy, to see them advance in the faith. So look at what he says in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul actually commands them to complete his joy. Or you can say, make my joy full. Or give me further joy. He's commanding them to do that. Now if you think about it, that's a very strange command. Because what, what does it sound like? It sounds like Paul is being self-serving. I don't know about you, but, when, but my joy is often wrapped up in what others do for me. If it benefits me, then it makes me happy. But if you know Paul... It's nothing of that sort. Because Paul's joy is not in himself, it's in them. It's not in what the Philippians can do for him, but his joy is in what God is doing in them. I mean, notice what Paul doesn't say. Make my joy full by posting Facebook on Facebook how great I am. Or make my joy full by buying me a bunch of stuff on Amazon. Paul doesn't say that. Paul's own advantage are inconsequential to him. He's interested in seeing them live together in unity. That that is what makes Paul happy. That is where his interests lie. And think about what he wants them to be united in. He wants them to think in harmony to share the same love for one another, to be joined together into one living body or soul? I mean, in in other words, Paul is saying, be united in your minds, in your hearts, 
and in your strength. Does that sound familiar? That's the image of God in us. It's being reshaped. Paul wants it reshaped after the image of Christ. And so not for the self, but for others. By the way, that's discipleship. When we look more and more like Jesus in our minds and in our hearts and in our strength. But having said that, Paul zooms in on the mind. I'll read again verse 2. He says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See that repetition? Paul highlights our need to be thinking the same. Being of the same mind, of one mind, he says. And this is not about just gathering more information for all of us to share. It's not even about agreeing on every theological point. Because thinking the right way about people is more than that. The mind that Paul uh, refers to here is a wisdom word. It's a type of mindset that matches wisdom. Paul is calling us then to assess or evaluate ourselves as a community in a wise way. And so, what does it look like when we think together in wisdom? When we are wise together as a community, what does it look like? Well, in one word, it looks like humility. Because humility is the holy disposition of someone who is wise. And so how then do we cultivate humility? What happens when we actually practice humility with real people in real time? Well, humility is first of all not about ourselves. It looks outside of ourselves. Humility drives us outside of ourselves to other people. Because humility is an exercise of self-forgetfulness. Paul puts it this way in the negative. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Verse 3. You know, this matches Jesus' command to deny yourself, doesn't it? And it matches Paul's ministry to the Philippians. He's denying himself for their sake. Put aside your feverish ambition to be made much of because it's not about you. You know, the words self-ambition here is only one word in the Greek. And it's very interesting uh, because it's actually a political word uh, which points back to verse 27 of, verse, uh, of chapter 1. Uh, where Paul says to live as citizens in God's kingdom in a way that reflects the worthiness of the gospel of Christ. So this word has to do with greedy politicians who seek office. It's when they use shady and underhanded means to get it. They trample on others to achieve their goals. I mean, don't we all hate shady politicians? And so basically, Paul is saying, Don't act like a crooked politician in your relationships to people in the church. Don't use others to get what you want. It's unbecoming for a citizen of heaven. And the word conceit 
can literally be translated as empty glory. Avoid seeking for yourself glory, Paul says. You know, to seek glory for self is to seek a kind of glory that is empty, a kind of glory that is weightless. Glory, by the way, means weightiness. And so by definition, a weightless kind of glory is no glory at all. And so by searching for your own glory, you'll end up with no glory. You'll end up with shame and disgrace. Do you know what the Bible calls a person who is always putting themselves first? The Bible calls that person childish. Because he's thinking like a child. I mean, what's a kid's favorite word? Mine. You know, kids are like seagulls, you know. Mine, mine, mine. (laughs) Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The mine mentality is immature. It's immaturity. It is unwise. It's to reason like a child. This is why we read from Genesis 3 earlier. Uh, This is the way Adam and Eve acted in the garden. Because what happened? Eve saw for herself what was good. And her evaluation was based on what? It was based on self. What can I get out of this? There was no regard for her husband, for Adam. And more importantly, there was no regard for God. That's called being wise in your own eyes. And it will always bring ruin to every relationship that you have. I mean, this is what the book of Judges is all about. After every downfall, we read, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You know, to be wise in your own eyes sums up the human condition, doesn't it? When we estimate ourselves according to our own wisdom, we elevate ourselves above other people. And that's what the world is all about. And it results in distance, not nearness, aloofness, not friendship, indifference, not love. So listen to what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 12. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And so how do we live in harmony with one another when we're wise in our own eyes? We can't. We can't. And so Paul goes on and says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 3. You know, to count others more significant then ourselves goes against everything that is in us because we have a propensity to be prideful, to put ourselves first. And it doesn't help when we're successful, does it? Why? Because if you think you're winning at life, pride will go to your head and into your heart. I mean, how can this guy who's barely making ends meet be better than me? How can he be more significant than myself? Success makes us see ourselves more highly than we should. 
But here's what Paul is not saying, though. Uh, He's not saying that others are inherently better than you. Like somehow they are more of worth than you are. Uh, Because Paul knows we're all made in the image of God. He just appealed to it. Paul is talking about the way we see people. Are people valuable in your eyes? Are they significant to you? Even more significant than yourself. And so here's the test. Verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, someone who is humble takes interests in other people because they've learned this important lesson. It's not about them. You know, I always hear a lot of people saying, how much they want deep relationships in the church. And to be honest, and I'm, I'm including myself in here, we're not that interested in other people. Many of us are more interested in ourselves than we are of other people. I mean, how do I know that? Because a lot of us are so critical. We're too quick to judge. We hold people to standards that we ourselves can't keep. And we are so easily offended when people don't fit our agendas, when they're an inconvenience to us. That's putting ourselves first. And we will never develop deep relationships that way. And so what would it look like if we were actually interested in other people? Here's the first thing. I think we'd reach out more and spend more time with them, don't you? I mean, how much of an effort do we make to get to know each other? Yes, we are busy. But let me tell you, we're not too busy for people. Because how much TV do we watch on a given day? Our faces are constantly buried on our phones. What would happen if we were more interested in God's people than we are of Netflix and Amazon? I mean, by the way, If you aren't interested in the people you live with, your spouse, your children, your roommates, whoever, you're not going to be interested in people at all. And so start by becoming more invested in the people closest to you. And another thing, I think if we were more interested in people and count them more significant than ourselves, then we wouldn't be afraid to be vulnerable we'll be more open and transparent with them. Uh, I like how one writer puts it. He says this, We must forget ourselves in order to let the other person approach us. We must be able to open to him to let his distinctive personality unfold, even though it often frightens and repels us. We often keep the other person down and only see what we want to see then we never really encounter the mysterious secret of his being, only ourselves. And so do you want deep and meaningful relationships? Then we have to actually be interested in people. Dare I say, even count them more significant than ourselves. Spend time with them, open up to them, 
Because that's humility at work among us. Humility is the only way we're going to cultivate deep relationships with one another. Our relationships will be shallow without it. And so what do we find in Jesus Christ? We find a humble heart. Jesus came and, did he, and he did not serve his own interests. He put, his, uh, he put your interests above his own. Jesus was so humble that he willingly left his father's side. He took on flesh and died a bloody death on a cross in your place. You know what that is? That's the cruciform wisdom of God. A kind of wisdom that lives and dies for other people. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Live for one another as Jesus lived for us. And let me end with this final reflection. You know, the world tells you that you will never be happy if you put others above yourself. If you're always living for other people. You'll miss out at a shot at happiness. You need to do what makes you happy, they say. You're only going to be happy if you put yourself first. And there's a lot of um, cheesy phrases in our culture for this, you know. Carpe diem, YOLO, live your best life now. I don't know, I can't think of any more, but I I know there's more. And listen to some of the so-called gurus of this age. The more you praise and celebrate your life, the more there is in life to celebrate. You know who said that? Oprah. The most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy. It's all that matters. Audrey Hepburn. That's the mentality of our culture. Me first. Mine. Childish. But what if we allowed the gospel to intrude into our relationships? I think then we'll learn that living for other people doesn't steal our joy. Living for other people opens our hands to receive joy. The world has this idea that if you become a humble person, you will become a weirdo or an inbred. But that's not true. I like how C.S. Lewis describes a humble person. Here's what he says. Probably, all you will think about him is that he seemed a a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If uh, If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. The humble person, beloved, is simply the person who takes interest in other people, who forgets himself and takes joy in them. You know why? Because that's what the gospel looks like. That's a person shaped by the humility of the gospel. And so this morning, God gives us some plain bread and wine to remind us that Jesus put our interest Above his own. He did not seek empty glory. In fact, his glory was in his humiliation. 
His glory was being lifted up on a Roman cross. So the bread and the wine make Christ's humiliation visible before our eyes. So that we can stop being wise in our own eyes. And humble ourselves before the Lord of glory. I'd like to invite uh, the elders to come that we might partake of uh, uh, this Lord's Supper. Our ever patient and compassionate Father, we thank you that you have adopted us into your holy family, the assembly of the saints. Your eternal and everlasting Son was murdered for us that we might become your sons and daughters. And so fix our eyes on that good news in order that we might see again and again the wonders of your love. Change our hearts that we might be in awe and be, um, and be in love with you, O Lord, and help us to reflect your wondrous love to one another by considering others more significant than ourselves. It is the way of Jesus. It is the way of the gospel. And so be with us then all the week long. Remind us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross for the sake of others. Continue to conform us into Jesus' wonderful and perfect image. In his name we pray. Amen.